0: Hey, look, I'm back in church. Uh, It's really exciting to be able able to be back in the building. Like you know, we're only opening at the moment for private prayer. And I did say a couple of weeks ago that perhaps it's more appropriate that I preach to you from my home to your home. But I've been in church today filming for New Wine, um, getting some stuff together for the United Breaks Out online conference that's going to happen at the end of this month. Um, It's going to be really exciting, and we'll tell more about that soon. But today we're looking at this really interesting passage from Luke as we continue to think about Jesus coming to people's homes. And I wonder, how good are you at hiding your emotions? Are you the sort of person who wears your heart on the sleeve so everybody always knows what you think? Or are you perhaps a bit of a mystery and people never know what you're thinking? And I think it's just a personality difference. I don't think it matters too much. There's probably no right way or wrong way but I do know that whether you show them or not emotions need to be trained so that we're not controlled by them someone said emotions are like children you wouldn't put them in the boot of the car but equally you wouldn't let them drive the car either so one thing we've had to come to terms with is some of the emotions that have come out for us during the last few months and that's because we've all had to come to terms with interruption. And I don't know about you, but I find interruptions really challenging. You know, perhaps when I'm trying to film something like this and the phone goes off or somebody comes to the door, or perhaps you've had a busy day, you've come home, and uh, you're just starting to relax, you're getting into something, maybe you're watching television, you're really enjoying it, and then the phone rings or somebody comes to the door or the children come in and they need something. Interruptions are often really difficult. And of course, interruptions can be more than just a little frustrating, like the examples I gave you. Interruptions sometimes can be times of great loss. And we've experienced a lot of that. None of us could have foreseen what would happen in 2020, and it might have radically affected your plans. Maybe your schooling, your holidays that you had planned, your career and so forth. It may have affected your circumstances. Life was going along swimmingly, but then suddenly what seemed to be really secure is now looking uncertain. And part of, I think, growing into maturity and including maturity with God is learning to cope with those things that are out of our control and particularly the harder ones that burst into our lives. C.S. Lewis said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely your real life. Real life is that thing that we have with all the bad bits added to it as well. we don't experience things as easy. When an interruption comes, It often feels like another blow. Sometimes an interruption can feel like an attack or even a defeat if it snatches away something that you were looking forward to. And today's passage, I think, is one of the hardest passages to read in the whole of scripture if you're a parent. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, has a 12-year-old daughter who is dying, surely the most heartbreaking position for any parent to ever find themselves in. But Jairus has heard that the prophet Jesus is in town. And so he runs and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, all dignity forgotten, begging Jesus to come to his house. And of course, Jesus, because he is all compassion, agrees and comes with him. Now, when we had the reading, we skipped the next bit. We skipped over verses 42 to 48, but they're very well known. What happens is, as Jesus is responding to Jairus' request, and as together they're on their way to Jairus' home, an unnamed woman slips through the crowd around Jesus, and she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak. She wants to do this because she has been struggling for years with an issue of blood, and nothing can make a difference to her. She's spent all she can on doctors and the quacks have no real solutions but she figures that there's something about Jesus and she has faith that if she can just touch him then she'll be healed. And of course power comes out from Jesus because of her faith and heals her. And Jesus stops and reassures her that she's been healed. Now this interruption is told in all of the three Gospels that tell this story. It's in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. And we often talk, as we rightly should, about this woman and what that would mean for her. But just think for a moment, how did it impact Jairus? What was he going through when Jesus stopped and started to talk to this woman? Now, I think, as a parent myself, I think I would find this interruption really, really hard. I think I'd be thinking like this. Isn't there a difference between someone who's been suffering for years and somebody who's actually dying? I mean, Jesus, couldn't you come back to her? Could you, could you acknowledge her need and come back to her later? Jesus, she's, she's got healed. You don't need to spend any time with her. She's had the physical healing that she was longing for. You felt the power come out for you. Shouldn't we, Jesus, shouldn't we be more concerned about a little girl than a grown woman? I mean, there's all sorts of things I think would have run through my mind. And to make matters worse, while Jesus is still speaking to the woman, the terrible news comes from his house. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. No. In that moment, I don't know what showed on Jairus' faith. What was there? Would he show the emotions that he felt? We don't know what his personality type was. Was it grief on his face? Was it despair? Was he just numb with shock? Was he filled with anger at Jesus, delaying when he needed to be where his daughter was ill? We're not told. What we do here is that as soon as Jesus heard the news, he said this, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Now, this is the school of extreme faith for Jairus. He's just been told that she's dead. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, just believe she will be healed. And it's do incredible credit to Jairus, that he doesn't reject Jesus, he doesn't blame Jesus, he's still willing to have Jesus come to his house, even though he's got no idea what Jesus could do now. And I wonder if you ever come to that place yourself, are you willing to keep calling on Jesus even when almost everything in you is crying out that there's no hope, that the situation's too far gone? So one thing to take away from this passage is that it's always good to invite Jesus in, and not lose hope. And Jairus gets his miracle, and his daughter is raised to life. But let's just pick up on a few things about what it took for Jairus to get to that point where he gets his miracle. Well, the the first thing we've seen already, he had to be humbled. He's not more important than an unnamed woman. If he thought he was anything special because he was the synagogue ruler, I think he'd led that behind. He'd left it all behind, he'd laid it down. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and begged Jesus, not a position that you'd normally associate with someone of local high standing. He had to trust in Jesus' timing, that Jesus was stopping from a woman that he didn't know that normally wouldn't be allowed in polite circles because her illness would keep her from being clean as the religious people saw it. Trusting in Jesus's timing, saying you're God, you're good, you don't delay, you don't forget about us. That's not easy, is it? So with those things, being humbled and trusting in God's timing, on top of that, there's some other things that happen when he gets to the house. Firstly, Jairus had to break with convention and get real When Jesus got there, there was a crowd of professional mourners outside wailing and tearing their clothes. This is the sort of thing that would be normal for a death in a Jewish household. People would come together and they would make a show of their grief. And and usually they would get a little tip for what they'd done. They were professional mourners, but it was the done thing. But when Jesus got there, he didn't want those people there. He put them out and he only allowed the child's parents, and his closest disciples to come in with him to where the little girl was laid. Jesus wants people of real faith. And sometimes to have real faith means putting aside the people who are making a show of it all, getting real, being honest. The people who genuinely care are the people who are perhaps going to see a miracle because God flows along lines of love. So often we read that Jesus has compassion And then the next thing we read is the person was healed. So he had to break from convention. On top of that, he also had to get past mockery as well. Jesus put them all out and said, Stop wailing. The child is not dead, but asleep. And it says they laughed at him. They laughed at him. I don't think Jesus was offended by that. I think he just recognised that these people... Can't embrace what God is doing. They just haven't got the faith to see the possibility that's there when Jesus is there. And Jairus, I don't think he was laughing. I think he was still holding to hope. He wasn't put off by other people laughing. No, instead, he he invited Jesus into his home. He brought Jesus into the place of his deepest pain. Whatever other people thought, however foolish they thought he might be. And then in that place, we read that Jesus transformed everything by his power and his love. It says that Jesus took the little girl by the hand and said, cum, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up and Jesus said, give her something to eat. It's an amazing miracle, isn't it? But I think the thing that spoke to me as I looked at it this week is, what would it mean for Jairus? Because if we wanted a, a summary of what it demanded for Jairus, I think it would be this. He had to focus his attention on Jesus alone, not on himself and his own dignity, not on what others might think or expect of him. All of this really in this passage for Jairus, it's like we used to sing in the old hymn, trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust And obey and I wonder what situation you might need Jesus to come into today there might be something really big in your life and you need Jesus to come in he's always willing and you've got nothing to trust in except his mercy we don't have any call upon him in fact he has to forgive us our sins but he will And in his mercy, he'll come to us. And in his grace, he'll give us what we couldn't earn for ourselves. If we acknowledge that we've got no one to look to but him, if we don't care what other people think, and we focus on obeying him and honoring him and trusting him, then he can do all things. So let's bring those situations to God now. We're going to have a time of, of prayer There'll be some words of knowledge later in the service today. And they may actually be a way that God shows you that he knows and he wants to move and to heal. But if a situation that you're dealing with is not mentioned in those words of knowledge, God knows still. So let's bring those things to him now. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you're always willing And so we ask for grace to get beyond anything in ourselves or in the way that we engage with others that might prevent us from allowing you to come into the deepest, the most personal, and even the most painful places of our lives. Come with your healing and transforming love. Come with your power. Raise up hope. And as you literally brought this little little girl back to new life, we pray, Lord, you'd bring life to us. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And we want to say again today that we trust in you alone and we will obey whatever you command. Amen.